Christmas, it, it, I say this every year, but really it is my most favorite time of year. Not always easy. We leave the drama. Uh, to, don't bring the drama to my house. Keep it over your house, sir. But we have a great time at Christmas in our family. I love the sights, the sounds, the songs. I love going to Epcot and watching the candlelight processional. Just, just a special time. And at Christmas time at City Church every year, we, we take a time just to reflect on the goodness of God and the coming of our Christ. It's why we sell uh, celebrate Advent. That's why we do it every year, because we believe that as Christ followers, we're awaiting the return of Jesus. This year, we're doing something a little bit different. We're talking about Christmas at City Church, and we're just going to go through the stories, the cast of characters in the Bible that surround the events of Jesus' birth. This morning, I'm going to be talking to you about Zechariah. And uh, the Zechariah, the, the promise of God's big surprise in his life, we're going to talk to you about being surprised by his promise. But I remember probably about 28 years ago, my wife and I had moved from, we had moved from Portland to Arizona for one year, Arizona back to Seattle for me to attend Bible college. And uh, uh, Laura had discovered that she was uh, pregnant. And so we went home for Christmas that year. And my wife uh, made a really beautiful package. And the way, I don't know if it works in your family, but, you know, moms are handing out the gifts. And so my mom was, like, always the last one to open her present. And, and so my wife handed her this beautiful box that was wrapped so nicely, and she opened it up. And inside of it was a baby pacifier. And you know what that represented? Surprise. I'm pregnant. And our firstborn son, Austin, who's down here in the front row with his beautiful wife, Paula, it was the announcement to the world. It was the public announcement that our son, Austin, was going to be born. And so I always remember back on Christmas time as a special time. You know, it's a special time. And as we look at Christmas, what we're going to see, as we're looking at the story of Christmas, we're going to see the promises of God being fulfilled. As a matter of fact, in the Bible, there are over 8,000 promises that God makes to his children. 8,000. 8,000 times God promises his kids that he's going to do something. And here's the deal with God. God is a promise keeper. Everyone say, God is a promise keeper. God's a promise keeper. If God promises something, you can take it to the bank that it's going to come to pass. It's going to take place. As we look at Luke's story of Christ coming into the world, we're going to see some really in interesting individuals. We're going to see some people that uh, they parallel some people that are told previously in the Bible. We're going to see contrast between darkness and light. We're going to see a prophetic kind of this poetic song break forth at the declaration of Christ coming to the world. But this morning I want to talk to you about the topic, surprised by his promise, surprised by his promise as we look at the story of Zechariah. Let's pray. Father, in these next few moments, Lord, I don't take for granted this third service that you want to do something special in the hearts and lives of every person. We thank you, Lord, even in the time of song, we've, we've lifted our voice in worship to you, and we love that reality of who you are. We love the reality of your presence, and we're so grateful and thankful that we can come and celebrate your entering into the world so that we can come to know our God and our Savior today. God, I pray for every person in this room that you'll give them a spiritual ear to hear, that these will not just be my words, but they'll literally become your words in the ears and the hearts of those who hear. I need you today, Lord. One more time, I need your grace to empower me to boldly declare who you are to this generation. I ask this now in your mighty and wonderful name, and everyone said, amen. When God suddenly steps into our world, there are people that he uses. There are saints. Everyone say saints. 
there are saints that God uses or people that God uses. I want you to look at Luke's gospel, chapter 1, if you have your Bibles. You can go old school. How many of you actually have a paper, like a, like a hardback Bible? All right. Okay, got a couple. How many of you are using your cell phone to read the Bible? Okay. I'd encourage you. On your, everyone got a cell phone? How many got a cell phone? How many don't have a cell phone like this? All right. You can go on there and you can download an app called YouVersion. And you can follow along as we read. We're going to read Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. We're going to read verses 5 through 25 this morning. So you can follow along as we read or you can look at up on the screen. I want to talk to you about the saints that God uses or the people that God uses. First of all, I want you to look at verse number 5 with me. And the Bible says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. The name Zechariah means the Lord has remembered of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, meaning God is my oath or promise. And there they were both righteous before God, walking blameless in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. The people that God uses are people who choose to live a blameless life, not a perfect life. We're going to see in just a moment, not a perfect life, but they choose to live a blameless life. I love the name Zechariah, the Lord is remembered, and then Elizabeth, God is my oath. Names are significant in the Bible, and these people, their names are significant. They made a choice, these individuals made a choice to walk upright before God, to live a blameless life. Not a perfect life, but a life that was set towards God's purposes. You see, these people were Jewish people. They believed in the promises of God's word. They believed Joshua chapter 1 when, he, when Joshua stood before the people and he said, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave to you. And do not turn to the right hand or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. They knew success and blessing and prosperity would come to God's people as they were faithful to walk in obedience to his purpose for the life. But they had a problem. Everyone said they had a problem. You know God's people have problems today. I mean, the fact is, although we are called by God and chosen by God, it doesn't make us immune to the problems of life. All of us experience them. All of us have to walk through them. And in verse number 7, we see their problem. The Bible says, but they had no child. They had no child because Elizabeth was barren. In ancient times, to be childless meant that you were lacking a blessing. It, but to many people, especially the Jewish people, when they looked at a woman who was childless, they saw one of two things. They saw either she sinned or her husband sinned. There was something in their life. They weren't quite right with God, and therefore God had closed their womb. They were barren. She was in a barren season. Have you ever experienced a time in your life where you felt like things weren't working? As a believer, you were going to church, you were doing the right things, you, you loved God, but things were barren in your life. It's exactly what they were walking through. They were unable to have children. And the second thing, they were both old of age. She was barren, but the fact is, is that now in her place and station of life, she was an old lady. She was an old woman. They were people who loved God and they continued to serve his purposes. And in verse number 8, I want you to see a blessed opportunity that her husband, Zechariah, was going to experience. And the Bible says, now while he was serving as priest. And this time in Israel's culture, there were somewhere between 15 and 20,000 priests. Put it in context, in our fellowship in the United States, we have about 35,000 pastors. About 35,000 pastors that are licensed and ordained. 
Zechariah was one of 18,000 or 20,000. He was just one of the guys. But something awesome was about to take place in his life. You see, in the temple, they would, once a week, there would be a division or group of people that would go to take care of the temple sacrifices. And then one individual would be chosen by lot to enter into the temple and to burn incense. The burning of incense in the Old Testament in the Bible represents the prayers of God's people. The Bible says that the prayers of God's people, the believers, go up before him as a sweet-smelling perfume. And one priest was blessed. One priest out of the 18,000, one priest out of the 500 or 800 or 1,000 that gathered around the temple that week, only one was chosen. It would be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be able to minister before God on behalf of his people. You know, today you sit in this room and you hear my voice. And if you said yes to Christ, you see, no longer now is there a priest that represents his people. The Bible says that every believer, every person who puts faith in Christ, every person is a priest and a king before God. It's called the priesthood of believers. It's why we gather together today and celebrate the worship of our God, whether we're Jew, Greek, red, yellow, black, white, male, female. We all, we believe that every person now has the ability and the access to stand in the presence of God and offer praise and worship and prayers to him, not just for a few, but for all people. Zechariah in this period represented God before the people. I want you to hear God's call on your life. Peter wrote to the church, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. You see, you come to Christ and he gives you the gift, the grace of salvation, but he's called you for a high calling. He's called you for a a holy purpose. He's called you to make a difference in your world. It's It's an honor and a privilege to be used by God, to be used by God to serve other people. Zechariah was blessed. He was favored. He experienced this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to serve God's people and represent God to the people. And then I want you to see something that happens in verse number 11. He's about to step into a season of supernatural promises. He's about to step into a season of supernatural promises. In verse number 11, and the Bible says, and there appeared to him an angel. Everyone say angel. Uh, You know, there are two kinds of angels. There's good angels and there's bad angels. This is a good angel. This is an angel of the Lord. In the Bible, angels are described many times. There's people who encounter angels in the Bible. But there are two angels that are named. The two angels that are named on the good side are, are the angel Gabriel and the angel Michael. Gabriel was the angel who declared good news. When Gabriel shows up on the scene, he's always declaring the goodness of God. He's always declaring a promise of God. Michael was a warring angel. He was an angel that would fight on behalf of God. But angel Gabriel shows up, and I don't know about you, but I try to step inside this story. I try to take a moment and just think about, okay, I'm just this guy. I'm one of thousands of people, and I get chosen. I I draw a lot, and God allows me to go into his temple. God allows me to go into his presence, and all of a sudden, an angel shows up. 
It'd be like you on Sunday morning. You're just coming to church, and you know maybe you're kind of like worshiping like this a little bit, or maybe you're just sitting there and you're singing, or you're meditating, you're thinking. All of a sudden, an angel of God, a big one. I mean, a big one. I want to say big angel, powerful angel. I mean, he shows up. I don't know about you, but I'd be like, whoa, whoa. I mean, this angel shows up, and, and he begins to talk. He begins to talk to Zechariah. You see, the significant thing about this angel showing up is that for 400 years in Israel, 400 years, there had not been a prophetic word. There had not been a prophet. There had not been a miracle. There had not been any kinds of angelic visitations. As a matter of fact, people would do their duty. They would, they would do the religious thing, but God wasn't speaking. God seemed to be silent in their world. And all of a sudden, the silence of God is shattered by an angel appearing. A supernatural encounter. The silence of God. See, the fact is there are times and seasons in our life where we experience the silence of God. But when we choose to live a life blameless before God, we experience his favor. You see, the fact, the reality today for each of us that we choose to serve God, God has supernatural surprises awaiting for us. One, one of my favorite preachers, his name is David Wilkerson. He was the founder of Teen Challenge. He said this, the first thing that happens to a blameless believer, not a perfect believer, but a believer who's had his heart set to God, is that he gains the favor of God. He gains God's favor. The prophet Isaiah says it like this, the Lord longs to be gracious. The Lord longs to show you his favor. God favors his righteous cause. One day of God's favor is worth more than a, a thousand days of your labor. God can take something that's impossible in your life and in one moment, one touch can make it possible. You see, the Lord desires to show you favor. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. 400 years of silence. This last weekend, we celebrated Thanksgiving, which represented pilgrims. They were actually, they, we call them pilgrims today, but they were nonconformists. They were people who left England, who didn't want to follow the mandates of the state to worship God in a certain way, the way that they prescribed. They made a decision, no, we want to worship God the way that the Bible teaches. And so they left England, and they sailed across the Atlantic Ocean, and they landed on this continent for the purpose, for the freedom of religion, not the freedom from religion, the freedom of religion. Think of the changes that have taken place on this continent in the last 400 years. Think of the changes in government, the people, the places. I mean, just think of the changes that have happened in our culture. 400 years of silence. The people of Israel had been ransacked and ran over. Jerusalem had been taken over by different nations and countries. But they held to this one thing as Jewish people. They had this promise that they were God's chosen people. That their father, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was their God. The God of these men were their God. And it united them together. And as they told the stories of God's deliverance. As they told the stories of God's provision. As they told the story of the hope that there was a Messiah who was to come. And he would be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It unified them together. They knew that they were special. They knew that they were favored of God. God desires to bless today. 
The awesome thing about God's favor is that we no longer need to wait 400 years. We no longer need to wait 400 years. We actually have access to the very favor and presence of God right now. The writer of Hebrews says, let us go boldly into his presence and to his favor. We have boldness today. We have the confidence and assurance that we can come and walk into the very presence of Almighty God and experience his favor. And in verse number 12, the Bible says, And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell on him. I mean, I don't know about you, but I mean, I, I've just, I've thought about this story. I mean, an angel shows up, a big one, a mighty one, a powerful one. You're going to be troubled. You're going to feel discontent inside. You're going to, you're, you're going to feel uneasy. You're going to have emotions that you can't explain. You're going to be disturbed. The angels are powerful beings sent by God to bring messages to his people, to protect us, to serve us. I read a story this week about a little baby that was saved by some rescuers. The mother was driving the vehicle, and she went off the side of the bridge, and the car rolled over and was hanging on top of the water, and the mother had actually drowned. The mother, the, the water had rose inside of the cabin of the vehicle, and the mother had drowned. And the baby was still alive in the back seat. And so people saw the vehicle upside down in the river, and they sent rescue people out, and they came. And for 14 hours, this vehicle had been that way. And the rescuers said, when we got to the site, we heard a woman's voice saying, help we're down here. Help, we're down here. The, the rescuers immediately, they went down, and they went down into the water. They, they got this little baby out. The baby was unconscious but still alive. The autopsy showed that the mother had died on impact. And when the rescuers, they asked the rescuers, well, who said, help, we're down here, they had no explanation. I have an explanation today. I believe that God still has angels on assignment, protecting and looking out after his people. Someone said amen. The Bible says don't discount the work of angels. You might even entertain them unaware. An angel shows up and he's got a fearful response, but an angel, this angel has a powerful message of good news. In verse number 13, I want you to see what the angel tells Zechariah. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. That's a great response. Thank you, angel. I appreciate that word. I, I, I received that today. Over a hundred times in the Bible, the scripture tells us to not be afraid. Why does the Bible tell us not to be afraid? Because our natural inclination, when things happen outside of our control, or things that we can't fix happen in our world, we have a tendency to fear. We have a fear that we can't pay the mortgage. We have a fear that our children are going to go the wrong direction. We have a fear that a relationship's not going to work. We have a fear of a bad diagnosis from a doctor. Our natural inclination in our life is when things happen that are out of our control is to fear. And the word of the Lord comes to us today. Fear not. Fear not. A message of faith. Look what he says in the rest of this verse. Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. Your prayer has been heard. You know, every prayer that you've ever prayed, every prayer, every prayer you've ever prayed, God has heard. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Now, when God hears our prayer, it doesn't mean that he necessarily immediately answers. Sometimes God says yes. Sometimes God says maybe. 
And sometimes God says no. But God does hear your prayers. He hears your prayers. I love what John tells the church. He says, listen, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. God hears. God hears your faintest cry. He cares for you today. And the angel comes to Zechariah and says, Zechariah, we hear you. I heard you. God has heard your prayers. God has heard your prayers, and he has a word for you today. You're going to have a son. You're going to have a son. Your wife is no longer going to be barren. This son of yours is going to have a special calling. He's going to be called to live a holy life. Look at verse number 15, and the Bible says, for he will be great. Everyone say great. He'll be great in the sight of the Lord. And he is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. God's called you today to live a holy life. A life separated for a purpose. You see, John was born into a generation where he's called for a very specific purpose. But here's the deal, guys. Every single person in this room, we've been called by God. For this time, for this generation, for a very specific purpose. We're not to be distracted by the things and the cares of this world. Jesus said the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches will rob us. Will rob us for the kingdom of heaven. He's challenged to live a holy life. Not to be drunk. You're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul told the church at Ephesus, be not drunk with wine which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, so many things in our life, we try to fill this significance. We try to fill our hearts with meaning. We try to fill our life with joy. We do all these kinds of things. We go here, and we drink this, and we do that. We have all these experiences, but they leave us wanting. You see, God's called you to live a holy life, a life separated for his purposes, for his plan. It's just the word holiness simply means to be whole before God. To be whole before him. And the moment you come to faith in Christ, his righteousness, his holiness, now becomes your holiness. And then you begin to walk out the life, the spirit-filled life that he's called you to today. Then I want you to see the mandate that God has for this child. God says him, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to turn to the Lord their God. Do you know God has a calling on your life today? You have a heavenly mandate from God. You have a divine mission from God today. You see, you have people in your sphere of influence that because the saving work of Christ is in you, the hope of glory lives inside of you, you have people that God is going to allow you to help bring back to him. The greatest joy, the greatest experience, the greatest blessing that you can have in this life is to lead another person to the source of life, to the bread of life, to the hope of life, to our Savior Jesus. You can't save them, but you can tell them about the one that saved you. In the first service, there was a man who's been serving in this church for the last couple of years, and he's taking an assignment with his job up in Georgia. And he came up to me and he hugged me and he said, Pastor, today is going to be my last day at this church serving. He said, I'm being transferred with my company up to Georgia. He said, but I want to thank you. He said, because before I came to this church, my life was a mess. I was far from God. He said, by coming to this church and I experienced Christ and I started to serve, he said, God has delivered me from alcohol. God has delivered me from addictions. I, I found my purpose and my meaning and my significance in life. He said, thank you. And when he told me that, I just said, thank God. 
Thank God that there's a heavenly mandate on this church to rescue the perishing, people who were far from him, who need a savior. Oh, there was a heavenly mandate on this son that Zechariah and Elizabeth would have, and that is to bring many people, the people of Israel, back to the Lord their God. But the fact today, the gospel isn't just for the Jewish people. The gospel is for all people. And then in verse number 17, the Bible says, and he will go before the Lord. He will go before this promised Messiah in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. You see, John, this son of of Zechariah and Elizabeth would be used by God to pave the way for the Messiah. You see, for 2,000 years, the Jewish people were holding on to the promise that they would have a king, a righteous king, a holy king, who would rule and reign over their people and all the nations of the earth. And everything that God had promised to Abraham would become their promise. Everything that God had promised to Moses would become their promise. Everything that God had promised to to the prophets would become their fulfilled promise. It was the promise of this Messiah this anointed one, this one who would be born of a virgin, coming up out of Bethlehem, this promised Savior, who would, this promised Son of God who would pay the penalty for our sins and that we would no longer have hearts of stone and hearts of flesh, but we would now have a new heart, a heart regenerated and born again by the Spirit of God. This Son that you're going to have is going to pave the way. That same spirit, that same boldness, that same confidence. But here's the thing. Their son wasn't the Savior. He would pave the way for the Savior. As a matter of fact, when John was talking about Jesus, when he encountered Christ, he actually got down on his knees and he said, I'm not even worthy to tie your shoes. This son that they were going to have would point the way to the hope of Israel. They would fulfill the promise that God had spoken to the prophet Malachi 400 years before this son of yours was going to enter into the world. And it was going to be a supernatural surprise of God. And the moment that John entered into the world, there was a shattering. There was a shattering of the silence of God. No longer now would God just come through a few people, a few chosen priests to minister in his temple. But now God was paving the way for the Messiah to enter into the world so that people could directly come into relationship with him. Someone said amen. The Zechariah. This is, Elizabeth would have a son, and he would go in spiritual power, not his power. What I really like about Zechariah is that he, wasn't a, he was a blameless man, but he wasn't a perfect man. He actually had a season where he stumbled in his faith. I want you to look at verse number 18 with me. The angel tells him he's going to have this child, and listen to his reckless response. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know? How shall I be sure this happens? How do I I know for sure this is really going to take place? I'm an old man and my wife is old in years or advanced in years. It's impossible. I I don't know about you, but if an angel, big, big angel, tells me that God has a promise for me, I'm like, my natural inclination my natural inclination, at least if it's an angel, 
I'm like, okay, I'll take that one, right? I received that. We have a saying, you know, someone wants to speak a blood, I'll receive that, I'll take that. But Zechariah has a stumbling moment in his faith. And before you judge Zechariah too hard, have you had stumbling moments in your faith? Time where God has told you very clearly, God's told me to, God's told you to trust him. God's told you to go a certain direction. God's told you to share something. God's told you to give something. Like, what? Are you sure, God? Are you sure you want me to do that? God, I need a sign. <laughs> uh, God, I need, I, I, I need, okay, God, my, my car battery's dead, but if you want me to go to church today, when I put the key in the ignition, it's going to start up. I need a sign. And God says, yeah, call AAA to have them come jumpstart your car. I'll give you a sign. God, I need a sign. I know there's an angel here. Come from heaven. Wow. See, here's the deal. He's realistic. He's thinking in the natural. But he's not thinking in the supernatural. He's not seeing with the eyes of faith. He's looking at the eyes of the failed man. And we all stumble in many ways. We all fall short of the glory of God. I mean, even some of God's very best, Adam and Eve in the garden, no, no sin, perfect place called paradise, in God's very presence, and they stumble in their faith. A man by the name of Abram who encounters God, God changes his name, God promises him that he's going to have a son. He's age of 70. He believes God says, I want you to follow me. I want you to leave the land of your fathers, and I want you to follow me to where I take you. And the Bible says, against all faith, Abraham believed. But the time of the promise to the time of the fulfillment of the promise was a long time. It's called delay. Everyone say delay. There was a divine delay. Abraham had a promise, but the promise hadn't been fulfilled. And along the journey of the promise to the fulfillment of the promise he stumbled in his faith. He had a child with his wife's handmaiden. He had a child that wasn't the promised child. God said, I'm going to give you a child. But it wasn't the promised child because it wasn't through Sarah. See, Hagar had a child. They named him Ishmael. But it wasn't God's plan. Abraham, a righteous man, a godly man, a man of faith, stumbled in his faith. Elijah. Man of faith and power. I mean, Elijah, one of the greatest Old Testament prophets, had mighty, mighty miracles. He stands up at, uh, on Mount Carmel, and he challenges the prophet of Baal. And he calls fire down upon a sacrifice that had been soaked in water, challenging these false prophets who had cut themselves and prayed and crawled on the ground and called out to God. No answer. One simple 43-word prayer from the mouth of Elijah, fire comes and consumes the sacrifice. And the very next day, at the threat of one little wicked queen, Elijah stumbles in his faith. Peter, Jesus, one of Jesus' closest friends, ate meals with Jesus, traveled with Jesus, saw Jesus raise the dead experienced Jesus, saw Jesus, open blinded eyes, feed the multitudes of people, experienced the commission of Christ to go and to preach the good news and to do the same things that Jesus did. 
But in one moment, at the end of Jesus' life, when he was standing around a campfire, a little 13-year-old girl says, aren't you the one that's a friend of Jesus? What are you talking about? I don't know this Jesus. I'm that person for three years. Ate, slept, drank the same places, did the same kinds of things, heard the powerful message that Christ had preached and proclaimed to his generation. And he denied him. He stumbled in his faith. The psalmist says this, when I said my foot is slipping, your unfailing love, Lord, supported me. You see, there are times when our faith gets weak. But you got to hear this today. The unfailing love of God supports you. The same God that saves you by grace is the same God by his power keeps you in his grace. It's not by your works of righteousness, but it's by the hand of God. You see this man, Zechariah, he stumbled in his faith, but God wasn't finished with him. He'd asked for a sign. God, I need a sign that this is going to happen. So God gave him a sign. Look at verse number 20. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak. There you go. You want a sign? I'll give you a sign. You're not going to be able to speak for nine months. Wow. Be careful what you ask for. He asked for God to give him a sign, and God gave him a sign. See, God is sovereign. He's in control. He knows what's best for us. He knows exactly what we need, exactly we need it, and exactly the right time. You will be silent. You won't be able to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words. He didn't believe. See, there's a reward for our faith. There's also a reward for a lack of faith. The choices that you and I make today will determine our destiny tomorrow. Uh, every single person in this room, God loves us. God's always working on our behalf. But he simply wants us to believe. When a world and a generation tells you that the God that you and I worship and serve is just some fairy sky God out in the cosmos, when they deny the reality of God's word and who Jesus is, and you feel the press in your work environment, not to mention his name, God sees. You see, the fact is today our hearts are prone to disbelief. Our, our, our hearts are prone to look at the natural and to reject the supernatural. But you are a supernatural being. L listen to me. You are a supernatural being. The moment you accept Christ, his spirit comes into you. And now you're a supernatural being living in a natural world. And God is at work on your behalf. But what I love about this man what I love about this man is that he keeps showing up. Look at verse number 23. He's deaf. He can't speak. He's got his sign. I got my sign from God. We always want good signs. Verse number 23, and says, and when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. When his time of service had ended. You know how I know he was a man of faith? You know, I know he was a righteous man, a blunt, not a perfect man. There was only one perfect man. His name is Jesus. You know what he did? He kept showing up. He kept showing up. Oh, there was a delay. He didn't understand all these things that happened. But he kept serving. He kept giving. He kept loving. What do you do when the promises of God seem afar off? 
What do you do when it doesn't make sense? What do you do when troubles and trials and tests come into your world and you have no explanation and you have no way to figure it out? Keep showing up. Keep serving God. Keep being faithful. Keep obeying his plan. One pastor said, God uses imperfect people in imperfect ways to accomplish his purposes. See, there's no one perfect in this room but Jesus. And the fact is, when we stumble and when we fall and we become weak in our faith, don't quit. Don't stop. Keep showing up. The Bible says the godly person stumbles and falls seven times, but he will rise up again. See, the fact is, you got to keep getting up. You messed up yesterday. You messed up the day before. You got in a fight and an argument with your spouse. You cheated. You did something wrong. You, 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 you did something you know wasn't right in the sight of God. Don't quit. Don't let the guilt and the shame and the condemnation of the enemy keep you from experiencing the grace and the provision and the blessing that God has in store for you. Don't turn back. Don't be like Esau when things got difficult, was willing to trade his birthright, was willing to trade the blessing of the Father on his life for one meal. Don't do that. Don't do that. Zechariah kept showing up, and because he kept showing up, a sovereign God intervenes in his life. Look at verse number 24. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. The promise of God was fulfilled. Do you know how I know this man, Zechariah, was a man of faith? Because he was an old man, and he went home, and he made love to his wife, and she got pregnant. My grandparents, when they were old, they had separate beds. They didn't even sleep in the same bed together. This old man went home and had relations with his wife, and she became pregnant. The man of faith ultimately believed the promise of God. Isaiah chapter 46, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Our failures equals God's faithfulness. See, God made a promise to Zechariah and the promise of God in this case was not dependent upon a perfect faith but a man who was willing to demonstrate faith even after he failed to believe. See, don't give up. Don't quit. The sovereign God that you and I serve today, his plans will ultimately prevail. Our failures, our mistakes, our shortcomings somehow are woven into the fabric of God's grace. Somehow, the things that we've fallen short in, God is able to fold them together into this beautiful quilt that's declared like this. All things work together for good for them that love God and are called according to his purposes. See, ultimately, God has your good, your good in store. But more importantly, his glory. God uses imperfect people. He uses imperfect man. The sovereign God fulfilled his promise. Paul told Timothy, even when we are faithless, God remains faithful because he cannot disown himself. So Zechariah stumbled in his faith, but I want you to see the contrast of his wife who simply believed in her faith. Look at verse number 25. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he's shown his favor and taken away my disgrace from among the people. 
Zechariah questioned God. Elizabeth simply trusted God. Zechariah was disciplined by God. Elizabeth walked in the favor of God. Zechariah was humbled in front of God's people. Elizabeth was honored by God's people. God took away the disgrace and the shame that she had been carrying because she had been barren for so long. But she was surprised by the promise of God. The writer says the promises of God are yes and amen to them that believe. Jesus declared all things are possible to them that believe. Jesus stood before the people and said, oh, ye of little faith, if ye simply believe. You see, today, God's promises are true. He is a promise keeper. Every promise in the book that God has given to you is yours. You can stand on it. You can take it to the bank. Although it might be a long way off, don't give up. Don't stop trusting. Don't stop believing in the God who said to you and I today, I've given you a Savior, and he is my son, and his name is Jesus, and he will forgive you of your sins. The God who's promised that you and I today will experience the empowering of his Holy Spirit. He said, I will give you a new heart and put my spirit in you. The same God that's promised to be your source and provider today. When he declared, I know what you have need of and I will supply all of your need according to my riches and glory. The same God, the same God college student, when you're looking for direction for your next step, said, I will lead you in a way that you should go. The same God that speaks to us and disciplines us, the same God that speaks to the single mom in this room and has said, I will always be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. The same God that speaks to the businessman here today trying to make a very difficult decision. The same God that says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not upon your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. The promises of God. Over 8,000 promises that God has given to his people. God just simply wants us to believe. He's good. God desires to favor us. God desires to be with us, to go before us, to make this the head and not the tail. He's the same God who won't leave us in a place of shame and disgrace. He's the same God who forgives and heals and restores. God simply wants us to believe. Wants us to believe the promises of God. God promised Zechariah that he have a child. He stumbled in his faith, but his wife Elizabeth simply believed. See, when you stumble, when you stumble today, get back up. When God says to you, I'm going to do this, I'm going to forgive, receive his forgiveness. The shame of your past, the mistakes and the failures that we've all made, God says, as far as the east is from the west, I'll remember no more. So what do we do with this? Where do we go from here? How do we walk this out in our life? Here's the deal. If you stumble... Don't grumble. Get back up and keep serving God. Come on, say that with me. If you stumble, don't grumble, but get back up and keep serving God. And the second thing is keep your heart open for God's supernatural surprises. This Christmas season, we're going to tell the story of Jesus' birth. Today, we looked at the life of Zechariah. God had a supernatural promise that came by surprise. 
You know, as we're walking out the coming days and weeks and as we get involved in all the busyness of the holidays, keep your eyes open, your spiritual eyes. Keep your heart open for God to work supernaturally on your behalf. For you to serve someone, for you to bless someone, to you to share your faith with someone. You know, sometimes it's not complicated. We're looking for great big lightning bolts to fall from heaven. We're looking for this great big angel to show up in our world and tell us what's going to happen. But sometimes it's just as simple as inviting someone into your home. Last Sunday, we had a wonderful service. And at the end of third service, there was a, a young man sitting on the second row. And, and man, I'd never seen him before, but he loved to worship. Like, he really loved to worship. And he was worshiping God and and so I started talking to him after the service, and he said, yeah, he said, uh, I'm from Nigeria. I live in Ireland, and the company that I work for is based out of San Francisco. And he told me the name of the company, and I happen to be familiar with this uh, startup tech company. And he was here for just a couple of weeks, and, and he was working with a local business. And, and so my wife talked to him, and she invited him over for Thanksgiving dinner. And, and it was really cool. We had a great time with our family, and my son and his wife and their family, and and this young man by the name of Newby, I just love the name Newby. He was a Newby, Newby to City Church. But Newby was just a really easy guy to be with, and he just loved God. And, and so I had gone outside for something, and I came back into the house, and Newby, my son Keenan, and I call him Eddie Van Cadavid. But Eddie Cadavid, the three of them were downstairs playing the guitar and making music and singing songs to God. And I just walked into that moment, and I just sat down in the chair, and I just listened to them play and sing. And it was a surprise. You know, sometimes we look for these great big things to surprise us, but sometimes the surprise is just these small moments with our family of God's grace being evident and real. My heart was so full of joy to see my son and this young man, Newbie and Eddie, playing and singing songs to God. I recognize that that was a supernatural moment. That was a moment of God's grace in my life and my family. We have so much to be thankful for today. Believe. Just simply believe. Simply trust. When you can't see it and you feel like such a failure, you sin, you fall short, you make mistakes. The enemy of your soul wants to keep you under condemnation and guilt. God wants you to be free. God wants you to be free. Just believe. I want you to close your eyes. There are supernatural moments. There are surprises that God wants to bring into your life, into your world today. <laughs> You're here today and you know, and you know in your life, third service, it's honored that you would join with us. But God's been speaking to you today. Maybe you're here today and you know your life isn't right with him. You've been trusting in yourself and trying to figure this thing out and it's been hard and God just simply wants you to believe. And you're in the room today and you say, you're like Thomas, say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I want to believe, but I don't know how. If that's you in this room, we're going to lead you there. We're going to help you. We're going to help you get to that place of faith. We're going to pray with you in just a moment. But if that's you in this room, in the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Come on, in this room right now. In this room right now. Amen. See those hands. Amen. And 
put your hands down. Amen. You're here today, man, and, and it's, been, it's a good season, but you want God, you want God to show up with supernatural promises in your life in this season. You want to have an eye to see it. You want to be able to see the work of God in your life in this Christmas season. If that's you in this room, when you just raise your hand with me this morning, come on across this room, all across this room. I want you to stand together with me this morning. And the worship team is going to lead us in just a moment. For the last several weeks, we've taken a moment at the end of the service to open the altars. And you're here today. And I don't know what's going on in your life. And I don't know what you need from God. But I know that there's a moment that we cross the line when we step out in faith and say, God, I'm going to believe. And today you're believing for God to do something in your life and in your world, whatever it is. Whatever it is, a relationship, a sickness, a, a diagnosis from a doctor, financial problem, whatever it is, we're going to take just a moment. And here at the end of this service, we're going to have altar workers come as the worship team begins to sing. And if you need prayer for anything in your life, I'm going to invite you to come as we worship the Lord together.